0: God is so good. We're getting nearer to the cross and we're in the final week of the life of Jesus on this earth. And we're going to be looking today, particularly at Luke uh, Luke 23, 22. And uh, next week it'll be 23 and we finish up with the final week on Luke chapter 24. Let me just read the first six verses to you of Luke chapter 22. And the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill Jesus, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Our first heading on your notes today is the word Passover because Passover time was really the annual event, springtime event, springtime feast. <clears throat> when passover was celebrated because they remembered the passover lamb in the book of Exodus where the lamb the blood of the lamb was put on the doorposts and where all of the israelites were set free from bondage and taken out of out of out of out of egypt and liberated and brought uh, safe, made safe from the destroying angels. So most of you will know that story and that of course is what Passover represents. And so back then in Jesus' time they kept the Feast of Passover and indeed they still keep the Feast of Passover today. It's called in the Hebrew Pesach, I think that's how you pronounce it, P-E-S-E-C-H. And uh, the, the the Passover meal consists on the on the night before Passover, the uh, night before the lamb would have been slain, they had this meal together. And they, nowadays uh, they have what they call a setter plate. Setter simply means order. And it's a plate that's marked out for usually sort of six different things. Nowadays they've added different things to this meal to represent more modern times and the Holocaust and all of that, but basically going right back, and I'm not going to go into all of the detail of it, but just some of the things are really very, very interesting because it, one of, the, uh, one of the, the first things that they have is bitter herbs on this plate, and that's usually um, kind of lettuce that's very, very bitter, or sometimes they use horseradish, radish. and the idea is that they're remembering the bitterness of slavery when their, their um, forefathers were, uh, e- were slaves in Egypt then they have another mixture called charoset I think that's how you pronounce it it's like a sweet brown mixture made with apple and nuts and cinnamon and sometimes they add other bits and pieces and that's all mixed up and the idea of that is that, uh, that it reminds them of the mortar that they had to use to put the bricks together in Egypt So you can see that this this meal this Passover meal that they have together the idea is that it appeals to their senses it's a sensory meal to remind them it's almost as if they're going back to what it would have been like uh, in in Egypt as a slave away way back with their forefathers the bitter herbs that they that they eat are actually um, dipped uh, they're dipped into salt water Um, and that's to remind them of the tears that they shed in Egypt they also have um, another greenery often parsley and this is to remind them of green speaks of new life it speaks of hope it it speaks of spring and also I guess it also reminds them of the hyssop that put the blood on the door so that's also as part of this Passover Feast that they would have. They, um, they also have a shank bone of a lamb. They don't celebrate, uh, don't, they don't obviously um, uh, kill a lamb. That's, that, that procedure has stopped now, although the Samaritans, when we were there last year, this up in the Samaritan country, this, the actual Samaritan people showed us where they actually kill, kill the lambs. They actually do it literally. To this day uh, up in uh, Samaria but they usually have a shank bone to remind them of the cost of their redemption and they call this shank bone now I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right but zero or zero is apostrophe r-o-a and that means outstretched arm and it reminds them that God delivered them out of Egypt with an outstretched arm so, everything about this feast, this Passover feast, even today, is they have a hard boiled egg, which reminds them of the circle of life. It reminds them of new life. And they dip that into salt water as well to remind them of the tears. So, lots and lots of, uh, of things to remind them of what it cost uh, for their redemption out of Egypt also in the Passover meal they ask four questions we haven't time to go into all of them but one of the questions is why is this night different to any other night and then they they give the answers and and, and from they have a book called the Haggadah which everything is written which will go through the whole procedure and the answer to that question is we were slaves in Egypt and the Lord took us out from there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm so even today the Jews are still remembering their deliverance out of Egypt but they haven't haven't as yet understood that the fulfillment of the passover lamb was Jesus himself that's why John the Baptist when he saw Jesus he pointed to him and he said look behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and so Jesus coming to to Passover time, way back to over two thousand years ago, went back so much further than that. It went right back. The Passover went right back for three thousand years that God had been telling His people that He was going to send His Son. He was going to send the Messiah, who was going to come to actually be Himself the Passover Lamb. And the Jews didn't get it. They didn't get it. And you see. God's word is so true and prophecy is so true and it's fulfilled to the last detail Psalm 41 verse 9 we haven't time to look it up but it talks about how Jesus the prophet said in the Psalms wrote and said how it said my own familiar friend has betrayed me a (coughs) prophecy yes it referred to something in David's life but also a prophecy about Judas Iscariot who was going to betray Jesus down to the last detail, the, 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 the prophecies were going to be fulfilled. Judas, it says, did you notice when I read this, it says that, that Satan entered into the heart of Judas. You see, Satan didn't know the plan of God. He didn't understand. Satan doesn't know everything. And he didn't understand what God's heart was. He didn't understand the great plan of redemption that God had worked out from before the foundations of the world. He did not get it. And when he whispered into Judas's ear and entered into his heart to make Judas go and Judas responded to him and went to betray Jesus, he did not know that he was actually fulfilling the plan of God. That, that, that Jesus would be betrayed and that he would go to the cross. And so we see that this night, this night of Passover, we see that it was a great night satan doesn't understand everything first corinthians 2 tells us that let's just gives a gives us a little insight to the fact that satan does not understand everything and he certainly did not understand what god was doing first corinthians 2 Hang on a minute i get this it says in verse 7 we speak the wisdom of god in a mystery the hidden wisdom which god ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew that's referring to satan and the demonic hordes of satan none of them knew for had they known they would not have crucified the lord of glory he didn't know satan did not know what god was going to do through the cross He did not know but God's plan was going to be outworked and here's what I felt God said to me this week as I considered this how God was working all of these things together for our salvation you need to know that the same God can work out the things in your life And work them around for his plan. Even the things that you have done that maybe you're ashamed of. Even maybe things that you think are unforgivable. Or things that you feel are irreversible. Things that you feel can never be made right. Listen, we have a God who can work all things together for good. To those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so God can take even the worst of things and, and mold them and shape them and bring them around to work out his purposes. And this is exactly what he was doing here. And then it tells us in verse 7 then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be <coughs> killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. So they said to him, Except we're not going to read through that because I think we, we've talked a little bit about that before. Last week. Let's go down to verse 14. When the hour had come, Jesus sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table and truly the son of man goes as it has been determined but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed so you see that the passover meal that jesus had desired for this moment to come he knew that he was going to fulfill the meaning of passover he knew he was going to be the passover lamb he knew he was going to be betrayed And he knew that as he would take the bread and the wine, he would be making a new covenant, something different from the old. The Passover, they had ceremony, they remembered every year. The blood of of animals had been shed right down through the centuries, not just week by week, but day by day, the morning and the evening sacrifice. As people went to work in Jerusalem and went down, they saw the smoke rising of the morning sacrifice and their hearts lifted because they thought, that's for my sins. And the evening when they came back, they saw the smoke rising again, another sacrifice. It was a continual sacrifice of animals for sin that must be paid for. But all of it was only pointing towards the final sacrifice who would be Jesus Christ himself. And so he was coming and he was coming to to fulfil that prophecy, to fulfill that picture of the Old Testament. And he was going to be the lamb of God who would give his life for the world. And his body was going to be given. And just as bread would have been broken in those Old Testament ceremonies, he was going to break bread and he was going to say, this is my body, which is broken (coughs) for you. He would take the cup bread and wine were part of all the old testament ceremonies he would take the cup and he would he would he would pass the cup around and said this is my blood this is the new covenant in my blood which is given by you the new covenant was being replaced by the old one instead of the blood of bulls and goats being shed for sin jesus was going to give his own blood jesus was instituting a new feast for all of mankind, and that's why throughout this planet, people, on a weekly basis, are are remembering, or we would call it breaking of bread, or or we would call it communion. It's the same thing. It's remembering. Do this in remembrance of me. We we remember that he fulfilled the sacrifice that he gave his own body and his own blood, so that we could enter into this new, wonderful institution, this better sacrifice and better promises and a better covenant, which the book of Hebrews talks about. In the meantime, this, you've got to get this, this is, this is just after uh, the, Jesus has instituted this new order, this new covenant. This is just after he's, he's given the cup and the, and the bread. Immediately it says, they began to question among themselves which of them would be be the greatest. A dispute came among them, verse 24, as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Isn't it amazing that as Jesus was talking about his body and his blood that the disciples were having a discussion about which of them would be the greatest. (laughs) It shows you our humanity, doesn't it? It shows you our flesh, what our flesh is like. Jesus had just broken bread picture of his body and and taken the cup it's interesting that in passover there were actually four well actually five cups at passover i've nearly forgot this i'm going to just go back to it for a moment we haven't time to go into them all but there were there were different cups that were taken to remind them of the different of salvation from harsh labor, labor, from salvation, from servitude, from the, reminding them of the splitting of the sea and reminding them of becoming a nation in Sinai. Those were all to commemorate those different things. But there was a fifth one, but they put out a fifth cup. And in the second half of the evening meal, they set this cup and they called it the cup of Elijah. But they didn't drink it because they believed that Elijah will one day arrive one day announce the arrival of Messiah. John the Baptist did come, did announce that Messiah was coming but the Jews missed it. They missed what they the very feast that they'd been remembering every year, all those hundreds and thousands of years, the very thing that they were remembering in such detail they missed they missed the fact that Elijah who was John the Baptist, They missed that he had come and he had announced Jesus. I know that there's another sense in Revelation where perhaps the spirit of Elijah will come again. That's another thing, but they missed the fact that John the Baptist heralded in Jesus. And here they are, Jesus has just, if you like, become so vulnerable to them in in sharing the fact that he was about to go to the cross, that he was gonna give his body and his blood to make a new covenant, a new arrangement. And they're out somewhere, squabbling among themselves, having this dispute as to who would be the greatest. I love what it says in verse 27. Jesus said, for who is greater, he who sits at table or he who serves? Is not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. Do you see how Jesus was demonstrating modeling out for them what true greatness was but true greatness is to serve each other and the disciples hadn't quite got that but you know in the early church we begin to see that they did get it and they did begin to give themselves and to serve each other and to serve humanity what an amazing God that we have Jesus went on to say but you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one on me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Do you see the grace and the goodness of God? Do you see the goodness of Jesus to be willing to give His body? Do you see His goodness in His patience, and and His desire to teach? his disciples, the true way, his desire to model before his disciples what true humility meant and what true greatness was. And then we come to Peter. We come to verse 31. So we've looked at the Passover feast. We've looked at the, the real meaning of Passover and how Jesus fulfilled it. We've looked at position, what the, what real real high position is to be as low as you can get. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And now we're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at how Jesus prophesied over Peter and told him that he had prayed for him. Let's just read these verses. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But Peter said to the Lord, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. I love the fact that Jesus had prayed for Peter. You know what? Whatever you're going through at the moment, You need to know that Jesus, the Saviour, has already prayed for you. You need to really know that fact. And you need to know that not only has he already prayed for you, but he's praying for you right now. And he's praying that you will come through this. He's praying that you will come through with flying colours so that it will not only make you stronger and more equipped to, to, to minister to those around you, but that it will be for the glory of God and that you will come out strong. And you see, I love this because Jesus is not only our mediator. Now, the mediator it says in First Timothy two and five that Jesus is is the is is the one. There's one God. It says one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus is mediator, but he's also advocate. And uh, I began to think about this during the week and think, what's the difference between a mediator and an advocate. Let's just look at the verse about advocacy. It's in 1 John 2 1 John 2 verse one it says, "My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin, And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So what's the difference between the mediator and the advocate? And here's what I'm going to tell you. And this actually, I suppose I kind of knew this in the back of my mind, but it came fresh to me this week, and I hope it comes fresh to you, that the mediator, Jesus is your mediator, and he stands between you and the righteous, holy God, his Father and he stands between and he mediates between. You know the way if you're going to, if you've, any of you have had the unfortunate uh, experience of going to court where there needs to be someone who will stand between you and the judge, a mediator, someone who will, who will work between, someone who will come to you and maybe suggest something, go back there, trying to work out something before the judge that the two parties can come to some arrangement and this is exactly what Jesus does he stands between a righteous holy God who cannot bear to look at sin and he stands between him and you who who you and I who are both sinners we're all sinners and he stands between and it's his blood because he has shed his blood and has legally paid the price for us that he can bring us together isn't that awesome that we can be one with God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, legally. Not just as a, we'll, we'll let it pass. No, it's been legally paid for. It. And so a mediator is one who stands between, and you have one who stands between you and a righteous God. And when you sin, this mediator stands between you and says, my, my, my blood paid for that sin. And he restores us to fellowship because he's paid the price. That's what a mediator is, and you've got one, and his name is Jesus. But what's an advocate? An advocate is someone who's on your side. You know the way somebody says, well, I'm just standing in between here. I'm not actually taking sides here. I'm, I'm just a mediator, I'm in between. An advocate is the one who says, I'm on your side. I'm standing with you in this, in this situation. And I love that about Jesus because not only does he stand between us and his Father, the holiness of a righteous God and the throne of God, but also he's the one who comes alongside of us. He's the advocate. And his Holy Spirit does the same. He's called the paraclete. He comes alongside us as well. Listen, girls, we have everything going for us. Holy Spirit Romans Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit's continually interceding for us with words that can't be uttered. He's interceding continuously. You have someone who you have God the Father and God who loves you and gave his son, and you've got the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they're interceding continuously. They are praying and offering words, intercession for you continuously. What for? That you're going to come through whatever trial you're in. That you're not only going to come through it and make it through with the skin of your teeth, but you're going to come out strong. And you're going to come out equipped. And you're going to come out ready that you can actually do exploits for God and become a stronger and more equipped person because you've come through that very trial. Jesus knew that Peter was going to be going through a trial. He knew that he was going to deny him because of fear. How many of us trip up because of fear? And that's exactly what was going to happen. But Jesus had already prayed for him. And if you're going through a sticky patch right now, maybe you've stumbled and you've fallen and you feel that you, you're just, you don't know where you are. Maybe you're just feeling there's no hope for me because I keep falling and I keep getting things messed up. Or maybe you're in a situation that is so difficult and so complex you can't see any way out of it. You need to know that your Saviour has prayed for you before this ever happened to you and you need to know he's praying for you now and that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you and you need to know they're standing with you. And that they will see you through and that their plan is for you to come out just go with them just say yes to jesus if it's something that you've sinned or you've let yourself down or something from the past that the enemy won't let you forget then you need to bring it to jesus and you need to say lord i'm sorry forgive me for this wash me clean and he will and you can be set free from the past to enjoy the present and a walk into the future to fulfill the call that God has in your life for whatever he wants you to be and to do for him. It's the most wonderful lifestyle, and God wants us to enjoy it. And so God wants us to know that we have one who stands with us. And this is what he said to Peter. He told Peter he had prayed for him that his faith would not fail. Now, after he left Peter, when we look down a little bit further, go down to verse 39 of Of Luke 22, you'll see that there's another prayer, and this time it's not a fact of praying for Peter, but it's Jesus praying in the garden. It says, He went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup. Away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then the angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation." In the last three years, we've, uh, every, every year we've gone to Israel in the summertime, as you know, and we've always gone to a village in, um, it's not a village, kind of a visitor's village, in Nazareth. And there's a group of believers there who have uh, tried to replica what, what life would have been like in Bible times. And one of the things that they have there is an, uh, an old olive press, And they kind of demonstrate to you how the olives go through this crushing so that the oil will drop down but a very interesting thing they they tell you that when the olives are pressed that there are as far as I remember there are four different sort of qualities of oil the very best oil that they get at the beginning is the oil that in Bible times would have been saved and sent to the temple for temple use so in other words, the first crushing of the olives, the oil would have been would have been for God, would have been given to God. Then the, the the as the the other qualities of oil, the next the next level would have been for food to eat over their food. Then there would have been oil for soap and for medicine first, I think, and then soap last. And uh, and it's very interesting that the oil would have been used for the temple, for to light the lamps in the holy place. And, you know, I remember the first time that I saw that olive press and those of us who were all together, and some of you are here today, possibly remember, we were all so deeply touched by it because when we thought of the crushing, do you know that Gethsemane means oil press? That's literally what it means. And so the, the olive going through this terrible crushing to bring out the oil is really the kind of crushing that Jesus was going to go through. And when he swept, as it were, great drops of blood, it was because of the crushing of his soul, of the extremity of the pain, when he faced the cost of our redemption, and when he, knowing what he was going to have to go through, when he was pleading with his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he was pleading, when he was pleading with his father on the cross, he felt forsaken when he was pleading in the garden if it's possible let this cup pass from me because he knew the extremity and he knew the crushing and as he faced it and as he realized what it would be for the sins of the world to be laid upon him not even so much the physical sufferings which were horrendous. The nerve endings that would have been—that would have caused pain throughout his body—with those nails where they were placed, touching nerve endings. The, the fact that he was—that he was—all his weight was hanging, and they believed that the, the, the nails would have gone actually through his wrist, through the bones here, to take the weight, and where he couldn't breathe because of the lungs—the pressure—it wasn't even so much that awful, awful, horrendous physical suffering but it was the spiritual suffering of knowing that he was going to be separated from his father and that his father was going to have to turn away from him because of our sins and in gethsemane when he thought of that and when he realized it and and finally was 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 saying yes lord nevertheless not my will but yours be done Something happened during that time that was of such deep extremity of pain that we will never understand that the blood actually burst the capillaries and came out of his forehead. And it says, not just a little trickle, great drops of blood. The extremity that Jesus went to for your sins and mine on the cross, we will never understand. And as he faced that in Gethsemane, he was crushed just like the olive tree, just like the olive fruit was crushed to make the oil. <coughs> so he was so crushed in his spirit that the blood came out much like the olive oil. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. <coughs> we were in Gethsemane, I think it was last summer, and we were, there was this big, 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 chapel there, a great big church, and we went in, and I think it was the year before last actually, and at the, at the front of it, there is a part where there's a, a, like a crown of thorns around the, 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 the altar, and when we were sitting there very, very quietly, and we were just kind of worshipping, and you're not allowed to speak in there, interesting thing happened. William took me by the hand. And in a very definite way, he lifted my hand and he led me out of the seat. I had no notion of getting out of the seat. He led me out of the seat and he walked me up to the crown of thorns. And he got down on his knees at the crown of thorns. And he and I knelt. And that was a highlight of my time in Israel. As I remembered the cost that my saviour made for me and for you. He is the most beautiful is he not good is he not a great great savior and he is the light of the world just as the oil lights up the lamps in the holy place he is our light and our salvation and he loves us and he's paid a price to redeem us and he's our mediator and our advocate, and he stands with us, and between difficulty, and with us in difficulty, and he never leaves us, and he never forsakes us. And We need to know and appreciate who he is. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, let me read you this verse, because as I was thinking about this, I was thinking how he was willing to go through and to to take and drink this cup of suffering It's interesting that there are a number of these cups in in the passover feast as well but he was willing to drink the cup of suffering so that we could have the cup of blessing and it talks about this cup of blessing in first corinthians chapter 10 and it's verse 16 it says the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of christ the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? He went through all of this. He drank that cup of suffering, which was so bitter. And he drank it so that we could drink the cup of blessing. We could enjoy him forever. That we could be blessed, not just in a coming day, but throughout our lifetime. This is what our God has done for us and so he prayed for Peter and he prayed in the garden and then we're going to just come to this last portion together as we look at what happened when they came to take him in the garden it says in verse 47 while Jesus was still speaking to the disciples behold a multitude and he who was called Judas one of the twelve went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When those around saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captain of the uh, and of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Verse 54 Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Let's just stop there for a moment. And let's just look at this situation. It tells us actually that in John's gospel, it gives gives us a little bit more information. It tells us that, that Judas received an attachment of troops and officers from the high priest, from the chief priests and Pharisees. And it tells us that they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. You can read that in John 18, verse 3. John also records that when Jesus asked them who they had come for, they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And this is a very interesting thing in John's Gospel. It says that when Jesus stepped forward and said, I am he, or probably more accurately, I am. Remember, he was the I am. God's name is the I am. Not the I was, not the I will be, but the I am, the ever-present God when he stepped forward and said I am he it actually says in John chapter 18 that the power of God knocked them backwards we need to remember that even in his weakest moment of being arrested that Jesus could have he could have blown them all away as he walked as he stepped towards them they were blown off their feet by the power of God we need to realize that that Jesus who made himself who humbled himself and made himself weak before these people he was not weak he was all powerful he was still the all powerful god it says they were knocked to the ground and peter of course jumped up and he we know it was peter that cut off the ear and jesus healed that ear and then jesus submitted himself to them out of love for you and me he submitted himself to them and he allowed them to lead him away and they took him to the the height the, the House of the High Priest, Caiaphas. Very interesting. You can go to the site where the House of Caiaphas, the the High Priest, that's a very authentic site. It's one of the most authentic places in Jerusalem. The reason that they know it's authentic is they found the weights there that only the High Priest kept. The genuine weights and measures were found there in the excavations. Very, very definitely. You can go down into a pit there where we believe Jesus was kept the night before he was crucified. An amazing place. It's called St. Peter of Galicanto because that's where Peter went to. Peter followed from a distance. How often have you and I followed from a distance? Mm-hmm. How often have we stood back whenever we should have been stepping forward? How often have we denied and let the Saviour down out of our fear, just like Peter? And Peter, of course, he goes and he stands there and he, he's, going to, he's going to spend the night there hanging around this house of, of the high priest. And in the morning he's going to, to realise in the morning that he, is, he is, he's going to realise that has already denied Jesus. And it's very interesting, as we read on, we're going to see that Peter was actually just in the middle of his third denial whenever the cock crowed. Let me read it to you. But Peter followed at a distance, verse 55. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them, And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with them. But Peter denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine what it was like for Peter as he's just just completed his third denial? And he heard that rooster crow. And when Jesus somewhere, must have been around that courtyard somewhere, and when Jesus turned around and looked at Peter, do you know, I've often wondered what that look was like. I've often wondered what made Peter go out and weep bitterly. I don't believe it. For one moment, it was a look of condemnation. It was a look of pure love. It was a look of such infinite understanding and infinite love that Peter broke his heart. And you know, when we realise how much God loves us, you know, sin will break our hearts. When we realise how much we grieve him, when we, when we sin against him and allow our old flesh nature to take over, when we realise that we will want to be more holy for him, we we'll want to do things, we'll want to be more obedient, we'll want to do it his way, because we love him, because he first <coughs> loved us. <coughs> and Pastor Bishop Curry at the royal wedding on Saturday got it so right that God is love. And what that man was describing was actually the setting up of the kingdom. That's what he was describing. As he was preaching, I kept saying to Jane, he's talking about the kingdom. And the world saw it across this planet. God is love, redemptive love. And how he he explained it about the greatest love is the redemption. Redemptive love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What love and what passion Peter must have seen in the face of Christ that day. You know, it's very interesting we have not time, we're gonna wind up now, we haven't time to look at it, but you know, it's very interesting that it seems if you read carefully through the Gospels, you'll see that that Jesus, it seems, had a a personal interview with Peter even before the rest. It seems, if you look carefully, there's a place, I must look it up and, and give you the quotation next week, where actually it seems like he had already set things straight. We know we had a public time with him, Uh, and and all of that, but I I believe that there was a personal thing. You know, I believe Jesus never wants to shame us. Never wants to shame us. Always wants to love upon us, and always wants to turn things around for our good. This is the God that we have. Something to consider this week? Well, here, let's go for it. Our sins are forgiven. If you've accepted Jesus as your saviour, you just open up your heart and ask them to come in and be your saviour then you belong to christ you're saved just as they were saved out of egypt the blood on the door of egypt when we get saved we are covered with the blood and the the enemy has to pass over us because of the passover lamb because our sins have been made whole because we've been washed by the blood of jesus so our sins are forgiven. We're free by the blood of Jesus, who is our Passover lamb. Our position as a child of God is absolutely secure. And Jesus is praying for us right now in whatever situation we find ourselves. He's praying that we, like Peter, will come out of trial stronger and more equipped to be and to do all that God is calling us to be and to do. I believe this morning, God wants you to know that he's good. He's a good God. I was talking to a girl this week. She met me because she had some questions about her, Well, she's not actually saved yet, she's not a believer yet, but she's really seeking God and asking questions. And one of the big things that she was struggling with was, is God good? And you know, I was able to just share with her that God is good. The evil that goes on in this world comes from another source. It's not from him. He is a good, good God. Amen. We thank you, Lord, that you were wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Lord, we just want to thank you and worship you for all that you've done. And Lord, if any of us are going through times right now where we feel we are crushed, or being bruised, or pressured, Lord, that we will be willing to allow you to shape us and to work it for our good. Lord, we want to say to you that we're, we're wanting to be and to do all that you've called us to be and to do. Lord, would you lead us and, and would you do something even in this, these moments, Lord? Would you touch our hearts at the deepest place? I Just pray over every one of you that at this moment you might just have an encounter where you would have a face-to-face encounter. Look into the eyes of the one who loved you so much to go to the cross. Loved you so much to die for you, even the death of the cross. May you be blessed. May you feel loved today. May you know that you are loved. May you enjoy that feeling of being loved by the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.